Good morning, everybody. My name is Wilson. I'm one of the pastors here. And there's so much I want to talk about this morning. Man, it's hard to choose where I want to start or what I want to say, but a couple of things I want to highlight before I actually dive into my message. One, uh, Micah Turnbow, who's the, prophet, the pastor of prophetic ministry here, who's a prophet, is with, his, with a team from this church currently leading a conference at a vineyard in Colorado. And so um, that's super sweet. The pastor of that vineyard's good friends of ours and texted me last night just saying how powerful it was going, the impact it was having on their church. And so that's really sweet. I just want you guys to know that that's happening right now and um, give him and his team a big high five when they get back. So this is uh, my first Sunday uh, back. Well, I was here last Sunday, but last Sunday was my first back after taking a month off of work. And so my dad, who's the head pastor here, told Luke and I, the, other, the guy that was singing this morning and other executive pastor back in like, I think last December or something, that we were gonna take all of, Luke and I were gonna take all of June off. He gave us a, a warning, you know, and so we took a sabbatical and it was really amazing. It was a really great special time of connection with my family, um, but I also really missed being here. I, didn't, I only went to church once that whole month, so I think I'm still saved, but <laughs> I, uh, and I didn't come here, I went to another church, but just being here last week and then this week, just exactly what Luke said about the birthday party, it's like, I love getting together with my family, my friends, my crew, and worshiping Jesus together, so. While we were gone, um, you had a couple guest speakers. So who heard Joe Long speak on Sabbath? Sweet. And then we had Jim Hunter, Standing on Earth, Sitting in Heaven. It has to be a book, right? Come on, Jim, write a book. And then last week we had Sasha Fleck from Czech Republic. Is that good? So just really quick, let me just say something about each of those messages. I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to them on the podcast or watch them. You can find it all on vineyardnorthwest.com or search Vineyard Northwest on podcast apps. But uh, Joe talked about the Sabbath, and I loved his invitation to us that Sabbath is a gift. That the Sabbath is a gift. And um, my wife and I, our family, has actually started to really discipline ourselves from Friday evening until Saturday evening. Um, about three Fridays a month, if we can, sometimes only two, because we're still so busy. We uh, just turn our phones off for that 24-hour period. We don't go do stuff for that 24-hour period. We just connect. As a, and so I just want to tell you, man, there's really something to um, that message Joe gave. I don't want to encourage you to listen to it and take it seriously. And I think it's actually an important part of our church reaching our, accomplishing the mission God has given us is that we as a church body would learn how to rest really well. We would learn how to, um, here, here, let me say this really quick. One of the things we do when we practice the Sabbath is we practice God's sovereignty. We remind ourselves that God is actually in charge. He can run things without us. And it's good to do that once a week to remind yourself that. So, uh, standing on earth, sitting in heaven, Jim Hunter, I loved this line, I always need God, I only need God. Isn't that good? I always need God, I only need God. And then last week, uh, Sasha from Czech Republic, amazing guy, he translated the most popular translation of the Bible in the Czech, in the Czech Republic. Um, so, I mean, that, how, we had him in this room last week. 
Is that sweet? But he talked about numbering our days from Psalm 90. And I love that too. Something God's been speaking to me about is he doesn't want me to introspect. He wants me to co-introspect. He doesn't want me to just start dissecting myself and thinking about my life and why do I feel this way? Why do I feel that way? Why do they do this, what do that? That usually doesn't go anywhere good for me. It pretty much always goes somewhere very terrible. But to co-introspect, say, hey, Holy Spirit, I'm feeling something. Can we talk about that? <laughs> in conversation, in relationship with you, or hey, Holy Spirit, what from my day that I just lived, I'm laying my head down now to go to sleep, do you wanna to talk to me about, or do you want me to remember, or do you want me to cherish? What from my month, what from my year, what from my week, whatever. Um, but the point of Saucer's message was, if we will reflect with God, we can gain a heart of wisdom. Come on, who wants, again, who wants your heart of wisdom? All right, so today, for the rest of my talk, what I'm doing is I'm picking back up our sermon series, Following the King. And we're in section two right now, Sermon on the Mount. And so Following the King, just a quick reminder of this series since we've been out of it for a couple weeks. What we're doing is going through the entire book of Matthew. And we're not going through it uh, verse by verse, that would take forever <laughs> and be really stupid. Um, and we're not, but we're not going through it chapter by chapter or like topic by topic. We're going through it what's called pericope by pericope. Everyone say pericope. pericope. Don't say periscope, say pericope, okay? A pericope, this is just a good little piece of Bible trivia, is what a section of literature is called, especially a section of scripture. It's called a pericope. So like we're going through it teaching by teaching, if you will. Topic, uh, like point by point kind of is a way to say it. Um, and so the thing we're trying to drive home through this sermon series, Following the King, is that we have a king. We sang about that a lot this morning. But, you know, we're used to thinking in terms of like presidents, right? Or mayors, governors, stuff like that, which is all good and valid. But in Jesus's time, you know what they were accustomed to thinking about? Kings, emperors, Caesars. So when Jesus came on the scene and he said, um, my kingdom, blah, 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 he was kind of like saying, he was saying something that was like incredibly hitting you in the face because it was the same terminology they used for their governmental system. Like when he said, my kingdom, they'd be thinking, well, what about Caesar's kingdom? And so we, as a church body, we just wanna really hone, and so to, today to us, you know, like it would be kind of like him saying like, my presidency, <laughs> my nation, my government, that's the ring, that's the impact it would have on the audience, it, it would have on the audience that Jesus spoke it to and it should have on us today. Jesus is king. Doesn't mean that we don't respect human governments, um, but it means that there's a government far superior to all human governments that we owe our allegiance to. And all of the kingdom of God um, is, the kingdom of God is so much bigger than any political allegiance that we could ever have. And uh, that's one of the things we're trying to grab, not, not specifically just with politics, but that Jesus is king. So 
Do you guys wanna stand with me? I'm gonna read our passage for today. This, this section of scripture is called the Sermon on the Mount. Just colloquially, Jesus never calls it that, but the idea here is like, we want to live these teachings out. So we're gonna stand, we've been standing every week that we read them. And this is a super fun one, okay? Did anyone cheat and look ahead and know what passage we're reading today? You could figure it out very easily, okay? Just what was the last one we did? Here's the next one, but. All right, Matthew 5, 31 through 32. It was also said, you don't need to read it. It was also said, I mean, don't read it out loud. You may, you may read it with your eyes. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. All right, you guys can sit down. So, just some light is what we picked this morning to talk about. Something not relevant to anyone's life in the room or our nation, you know. It's just, I'm so glad I got to preach on this topic. So, but honestly, before I go into breaking this passage down and um, talking about it, I wanna just acknowledge that this is a very sensitive topic. Maybe even just those little jokes and teases I made triggered pain in you or reminded you of a, divor the divor of a divorce you've been through or your parents' divorce. And, you know, this is a big thing in our country. Like, you know, there's that statistic floating around for a long time that the divorce rate in the United States was 50% or 52% or something, and that it was the same in the church. Um, those are actually wrong statistics. It's really thir around 35% in the country. And then it's at the max, like 25% in evangelical churches. Some, some estimates are it's more like 15% in churches. But um, I just say that, just to provide a little context. And today in the room, I know there's people, I mean, I know people in the room who've been divorced here. My, so like, I know that this is a topic that has real life um, relatability to several people in the room. I just want to say to everyone, I don't take this message lightly. I, uh, I'm trying to be up here with like fear and trembling and grace. I'm asking you for grace for me. I want to be very, I hope my heart, I intend my heart to be incredibly humble in how I've approached it and prepared it and what I want to share while also being you know, faithful to the teachings of Jesus. And so with that disclaimer in mind, I um, just want to tell you that my kind of experience with divorce is through my older sister who in 2012, I was walking around UC's campus and I got a phone call from my sister telling me that my uh, brother-in-law had cheated on her and that, his, that the woman he had cheated on her with was pregnant. And so that just led our whole family into this incredibly painful period of uh, mourning the loss of a family member because I, I never, never even got to speak to him again since then. Um, and then walking alongside my sister as she tried to figure out how to handle this in a godly way and with integrity and um, their relationship did end up in a divorce. And so I, I do wanna say at the same time, I, although I don't know your exact pain if you've been divorced or if like your parents have been divorced, um, I have a little bit of a taste of the, and, and who in the room probably doesn't, right? Have some taste or some relatability to the pain that divorce can bring. Um, so I wanna, before I go any further, 
um, tell you what my goal is, and then, and then just pray for a moment. So today my goal is not to give an exhaustive biblical analysis of divorce and when it's okay to divorce and when it's not okay to get a divorce. That's not my goal. Um, that would take several sermons and much more time. My goal today is, number one, to do my best to unpack the context of this strong statement that Jesus made. The context here is, is super, super important. And what I mean by context is both literary context, where it falls in chapter five, and also where, what was happening in that cultural moment in Israel in that time. That's my first goal, unpack the context. Number two is to share how I think Jesus' teaching applies to us today in this room, this church, this body. It's a really powerful application to this church. It's super important for us. Um, and, and before I go to my third uh, goal, I wanna say this, that if you're not married, this message is still super important to you because if you're not married, big chance you want to be married someday. And if not, then, and if you don't have any desire to be married or you, maybe you never even, you get married, you never get married, you still have a calling on your life to support marriages around you and to be a voice of um, love and, and, and to be able to be used by God to encourage marriages around you. Maybe you're gonna, maybe you disciple someone who is married. You know, like, so this message is relevant whether they're married or not. But the third thing I wanna do, my third goal and the thing I wanna, I wanna do for a moment right now is just minister to anyone in the room who's been divorced or who's feeling the pain of a parent's divorce or someone really close to you's divorce. So um, let me read you a scripture and I, want, I just wanna pray for a moment. And I really think that for some people, this is gonna be a moment where shame just falls off finally. And uh, for other people, it's gonna be a moment on your journey of disarming and overcoming the shame. Because I just wanna tell you that if you've been divorced, you are not disqualified from being used by God, from being a leader in this church or in God's church. You're not disqualified from being married again or from, you're not disqualified, okay? So let me read this to you. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Jesus went to the cross, took all the brokenness, pain, sin, suffering, fallen things, creation itself. Really quick, um, how was the world created? Through the word. What is Jesus? The word, so he is actually bigger than creation itself. He encompasses all of creation. He's not synonymous with it, but um, so when he died on the cross and he came out of the grave, he was bringing a new creation. And all the broken oldness he left in the grave. We don't see that fully accomplished yet because he's wanting to give more people time to repent and enter into new creation. So um, if you've been divorced, there is no condemnation for you. Whether you have, I'm just gonna say something strong. If you've gotten an illegitimate divorce and you haven't repented or, or kind of like owned your mess there, there's still no condemnation for you. <laughs> you are still not guilty. 
in God's eyes because Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for you. I'm not saying that there's maybe not stuff you're gonna think after today you should do or, or uh, confess to someone or whatever. I just wanna tell you there is absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Father, let me, let me just pray for anyone in the room who, who needs a, a prayer right now. Um, just in your heart receive or do whatever you want to to receive, but Father, I just speak this over the room. I speak your word over the room. There is no condemnation for you who's receiving this word right now. Be free from guilt and shame and any sickness that's in your body from this, I just say, be healed in Jesus' name. Any trauma in your mind and your heart from this, from a, the broken marriage, I just say, be healed in Jesus' name. I just say this, as the church, and as a pastor, I bless you. I do not curse you, I bless you. Father, I pray you'd work a massive work of restoration in anyone's heart who needs it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, should I just end the message right now? Okay, so context of today's passage. Turn to Matthew 5. <clears throat> Jesus is going through this whole uh, portion of the Sermon on the Mount where he's making statements that start with this. You have heard it said, or it was said long ago, or it was said to those of old. Um, and what he's doing, flip to that slide, Stella, you have heard it said. Uh, so there's this whole section of Jesus saying this, and he says it in the two teachings before this one on divorce, and then on the three after it. And all, the formula goes like this. You have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. Or it was said to those of old, but I say. And what Jesus is doing here is quoting the Old Testament law. Or he's quoting a combination of Old Testament law and the, the, the traditional teaching of the leaders and pastors and rabbis of that day. And he's saying, I know that you guys have this, this teaching, but I want to tell you my teaching. Go to Galatians with me really quick. This, is, this will be up on the screen, Galatians 3. I've been really getting hyped on the NIV. I've always been ESV, and that's what I'm using today, but NIV, man, that's where it's at. All right. So then the law was our guardian. Everyone say guardian. Until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Here's another way that Jesus could have been saying his statement. The guard, you, you heard the guardian say... But now the transformer says, you heard the guardian say, but now the heart changer says, when he says, you have heard it said, but now I say, what he's saying is, um, and this is Paul talking about the same, like unpacking what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount, kind of, he's saying that the law, all the law could do, which was really good, you know, the law was a good thing. There was no law, no one knew what to do, okay? People thought, oh, I like that woman. I'm gonna go kill her husband and take her. Or like that, that before God revealed the law, there was no rules. <laughs> Think about how bad that was. That's why God flooded the earth because the law wasn't there yet. So no one, so anyways, um, the law was a good thing, but it also was a bad thing. It's kind of a paradox. And basically though, what Paul's saying here is the law was only had the ability to protect you. 
What's a guardian do? It protects, right? It doesn't change or transform or even teach. A guardian just protects. And so the Old Testament law, all it could do was protect us from negative behavior and then kind of point the direction to positive godly behavior. But what do we all know? The human problem is not primarily a doing problem, a behavior problem. The human problem is primarily a being problem. It's inside of you, if you're outside of Christ, if you're in Christ, the problem's not inside of you anymore. Um, but it's not your behavior that's the, your, your, who you are on the inside isn't determined by your behavior. Your behavior actually flows from who you are on the inside. So therefore, the law couldn't actually change us on the inside. All it could do was adjust our behavior. But Christ, when you put your faith in Christ, you become not guilty anymore. And you become changed on the inside. So now, you can actually live how God wants you to live from the inside out. So Jesus is preaching to people who haven't received the Holy Spirit yet, who are still living under the old covenant, who are still living under the law, if you will. And so for them... These teachings Jesus is making are like astonishing. <laughs> you know, if you're angry with your brother, it's like you've committed murder. If you're lustful, it's like you've committed adultery. Except Jesus didn't say, it's like. He says, it is. <laughs> I'm gonna talk later about how hyperbole works and why I think Jesus is using hyperbole here. But the point is that Jesus is speaking to people who he was trying to shock into realizing that something better than the law was here. He's trying to shock them. He's trying to dishevel them so that they'll embrace something new. So they'll embrace him, the king of kings. Okay, so the guardian said, but I, the transformer, say. That's what you should think of when you hear, but I say. He's addressing a human heart, he's addressing a heart issue. He's saying, I don't care, I'm not, I'm not gonna deal with the external anymore. I wanna go to the heart. Man, it's 1042, I gotta hurry. Okay, <laughs> let's go into cultural context. So as we go into the cultural context, basically, I just want to go through the passage now. And as we go through the passage, the cultural context will pre present itself if you have you know, the kind of eyes and the wisdom to see that. Um, and as I do that, I wanna just, as I go there, I wanna give a really quick shout out to Luke. He was singing, he's the other executive pastor and he teaches here also. Um, but he really helped me make this clear today, okay? Like him and I and my dad always kind of collaborate on our messages, but uh, Luke and I spent hours on this message this week. And because of that, what you're about to hear is gonna make sense and you're gonna walk away like, okay, yes, I understand. Whereas if I hadn't talked to him, it would've been like, what? So let's get into the rest of the passage. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's the next statement. Well, let's read the whole, let's read the whole passage one more time. All right, the whole thing. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So we just talked about, you've heard it said. Let's start with the next statement. Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This is where we gotta camp out, proverbially speaking. 
I took my three-year-old son camping recently, and it was awesome. We're not going to do that type of camping. Okay, so <clears throat> whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. What Jesus is doing here is he's quoting an Old Testament passage, Deuteronomy 24.1. Before we read that, um, I'm going to tell you that there was a tremendous controversy in Jesus' time around how to interpret Deuteronomy 24.1, specifically how to interpret a certain phrase in it. And this controversy was between two different guys, a guy Shema and a guy Hillel. And then they had a bunch of ites. And so it became the Hillelites and the Shemaites, meaning they became teachers that had followings. And what came out of it was this thing called an any matter divorce. And there was a huge debate in Jesus' time about the any matter divorce. So when Jesus reads Deuteronomy 24.1, this debate is going to come to everyone's mind, is what I want to propose to you, okay? So let's read Deuteronomy 24.1. And by the way, what wasn't controversial in Jesus' time was that only men could divorce women, both in the Jewish context and in the Roman context. That was how the world worked. Women were property. That's pretty freaking horrible, okay? I just want to tell you that. Like, that is so demonic. <laughs> that's ever how society and the world looked at women as property. But that's, that's where it was. Women were possessions, and so um, that's why there's this reference to legal certificates. We'll get into that. But women did not have the power to divorce their husbands in this moment, okay? So, let's read Deuteronomy 24.1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, what he goes on to do in the rest of this verse is talk about how that woman has different things that she's allowed to do and not to do, a bunch of BS, um, about how she should, I mean, BS in that time, you know, like that's not how the world works now, okay? And that's not, how Je that's not what Jesus brought. Um, but basically, the rest of that verse talks about how uh, women, who they could remarry after they were divorced. But that's not the point. That's not what was controversial. What was controversial was these words, some indecency. Now, the Hebrew words are, you ready for this? Ervat davar, some indecency, okay? Um, and the word indecency means, in that context, all scholars agree it was talking about adultery. It has a, has a sexual connotation to it. But the Hillelites unpacked this in a weird way, and I, I don't even want to explain it myself. I want you to hear it from a scholar. So let's listen to... Um, this guy, David Instone Brewer, who's world-renowned scholar around first century Judaism and has written some books on divorce. So, the main area of disagreement about divorce among the rabbinic groups of the first century concerned the new type of divorce invented by the Hillelites called the any matter divorce. The debate was based on differing interpretations of an unusual phrase in Deuteronomy 24.1. Ervat Devar. This could perhaps be translated as matter of indecency. Reading the phrase literally produces indecency of a matter, or perhaps nakedness of a matter. In English, um, you know, we've had it translated some indecency. But don't, don't read this. Go back to the last slide, please, Stella. 
Um, or, you know, NIV says something indecent about her. NLT says something crazy, discovered something wrong with her. So you see that even in English translations, there's all this differing ways to do it. Now back to Instone Brewer, the, this author. There was another difficulty. The word devar, which is translated matter, is apparently superfluous. Meaning like it's not even needed. Why is that word even in there? So the Hillelites concluded that the strangeness of the phrase suggested that there was an extra hidden meaning in this passage. They therefore concluded that the two words, ervat devar, referred to two different grounds for divorce, indecency and a matter. So some and indecency, two different grounds for divorce. This meant one could base a divorce on an act of indecency, adultery, or on a matter, which meant any matter. Because any matter encompassed all other grounds for divorce, this single ground could be used by anyone seeking a divorce. So this thing came out called an any matter divorce. The Hillelites taught that Deuteronomy 24.1, the true meaning of Deuteronomy 24.1 was you can divorce your wife if she commits adultery or for any matter. Now, this is just like, this is recognized by secular history that this debate occurred. This isn't like found in some obscure Christian transcript somewhere. Like you can look up what's called the Mishnah, ancient Jewish documents, not Christians. And they, that's where we actually find the, uh, the record of this debate that was going on. Listen to this. Another New Testament scholar, his name is R.T. France. He, here's what he says about it. The liberal position of Hillel, and this, there's no, this isn't gonna be on the screen. The liberal position of Hillel, which allowed a man to divorce his wife for such a trivial offense as spoiling a meal, or even simply because he had found someone he preferred, in practice, it seems clear that it was the Hillelite position which prevailed among most Jews. Josephus, an ancient Jewish historian, listen to what he said about his divorce. His divorce. At this time, I sent away my wife, being displeased with her behavior. Then I took as a wife a woman from Crete. So this was the state, this was how divorce worked in the ancient Jewish culture. And you know that today in Muslim culture, there's a, there's, th this is no knock on Muslims, even though it is. Um, you can divorce your wife if you just tell her three times. In Dubai, I just read in the newspaper about a man in Dubai who in 2009 <coughs> told his wife twice he was gonna divorce her, and then he texted her, I divorce you, and boom, they're divorced. And she like took it to the Islamic courts and everything. He said, no, did he tell you three times? All right, you're divorced, it's settled, it's, it's the real deal. So like, it's not that easy to get a divorce in the United States, right? But let's be honest, people get divorces for any matter. <laughs> we all know that. Um, so the takeaways thus far are this. I'm going to read this to you. In Jesus' day, there was a former divorce called any matter, the any matter divorce. It was taught by a school called the Hillelites. It was the most popular, accept, most popular and widely accepted practice of divorce amongst the Jews. It originated in a superstitious, non-exegetical interpretation of Scripture. Exegetical means when you look at the scripture, what did it mean in its original context? It meant that men could divorce their wife for reasons as trivial as their cooking or as sad and sinful as preferring a new woman. As instructed by Deuteronomy 
the Hillelites still required a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce. And they thought, as long as I give this, illegal, this legal certificate, I'm in the clear. That's, that was their mentality. So let's really quickly look at what the school of Shema, the Shemaites, what did they believe? What did Shema teach? Shema, you gotta love that guy, right? All right. The Shemaites took the two words to mean a matter of indecency, by which they understood the phrase to mean adultery. So they took the, one, the two words to be one clear, succinct, connected phrase. The Hillelites argued from Deuteronomy 24.1 that divorce could be on the grounds of any matter or indecency. Remember, indecency is adultery in this context. The Shammites replied, no, this text allows divorce only for a matter of indecency. So, Hillelites, you can get a divorce for any matter or adultery. Shammites, you can only get divorce for adultery. That's the debate, okay? As a really quick aside, um, I don't think that that's all they thought you could get a divorce for, but they had a debate about this passage, and that's what that passage was speaking to. Um, like I said, though, this message, I'm not trying to cover all the grounds for divorce, and um, I'm going to recommend to you some books that I really encourage you to read, but the takeaway right now for us at this point in the sermon is this. There was a religious controversy, and there was a debate going on about any matter divorces. And so when Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 24.1, which is the basis of the debate, it's kind of like if Jesus was standing up here and talking to you guys right now, and he goes, yeah, so Colin Kaepernick, da 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 Who in the room is going to be like, oh, is Jesus about to talk about the Super Bowl when the 49ers played? Or, man, you know, was he a better passer or rusher? Colin Kaepernick. Like, no, right? We'd all be thinking about racism and standing or not standing during the national anthem. I didn't talk about standing or not standing during the national anthem and racism, but as soon as I say that name, that's what you think about. Or here's an even spicier, more easy to connect with one, masks. What do you think about masks? You're not gonna be like, well, last Halloween, my son wore an Iron Man mask. <laughs> right? You're not like wondering what I'm talking about with masks here. You know I'm talking about COVID, should you have to wear a mask or should you not have to wear a mask? That's what Jesus was doing when he quotes Deuteronomy 24.1. It was that, the debate was that prevalent in the air that boom, it just comes to the surface. It comes right up for everybody. So let's look at the second half of the, of the verse now. Now that we know that Jesus was speaking into a very specific context and cultural moment, let's try and understand this really strong statement he makes. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. All right, let's go. So anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality. What Jesus is doing here, I believe, is taking a side in a debate. He's taking a side in a current issue and debate. The debate is, can you, can you get divorced for anything or only adultery? And Jesus is making it pretty clear here, right? You can't get divorced just for any reason. He makes it emphatically strong, too strong for us, right? Like, we're not even comfortable with how strong Jesus makes this. 
Even though later on in the rest of the New Testament, Paul goes on to explain that a man or, or a woman whose spouse has deserted them, they should get a divorce, and that's totally okay. So we know that Jesus isn't, um, you know, trying to give a comprehensive talk on divorce here. He's speaking to a specific controversy and taking a side in a specific controversy. Are you following me? So he's saying that the correct interpretation of Deuteronomy 24.1 is not any matter or indecency. It's only indecency. It's only adultery. Um, now the second statement, he makes her commit adultery in order to marry a divorced woman commits adultery. So what I think Jesus is doing here is using hyperbole. And the reason I think that is because in the two teachings before this and in the teachings after it, he uses hyperbole. When he says that if you're angry, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you that if you're angry with your brother, you're liable to court. <coughs> What's that mean? If you're angry with your brother, you're liable to court for murder. We all know that's not what Jesus was teaching, right? Do you guys agree? Like he wasn't saying that if you get angry at someone, you should be charged with murder. He's also not saying in the next passage um, that if you lust after a woman, you commit adultery in your heart, that now your spouse has grounds to divorce you because you lusted. We don't think that's what he's saying, right? We're not, we wouldn't take it that way, that if you lust, you've committed adultery, and so therefore you can be divorced for that. What Jesus is doing here, he's trying to shock, speak to the heart. He's trying to get past all the fluff and speak to your heart. Offend your mind to get to our heart. By the way, if you don't know, you know, hyperbole is when you say an extreme statement that you don't mean in its technicalities, but you're trying to, there's a spirit and a heart behind it. You know, Jesus does this a lot. He says, hate your mother and father. Hate your children if you want to follow me. Obviously, Jesus is not saying that we should literally hate our mother and father and blah, blah, blah. But he's saying that compared to your allegiance to me, your allegiance to them is way low. Hate America compared to the kingdom of God. Like that's, he, he wouldn't be saying, hate America, go do anarchy, don't you know, uh, burn flags. That's not what he'd be saying. He'd be saying, hey, your allegiance to me is far superior to your allegiance to your nation. That's what he's, that's what hyperbole, the, the point of hyperbole is. Hate football compared to, you know, me. Like, hate the nerds candy that Wilson really likes compared to me. You know, like, prefer me so much higher. So, um, so, Jesus isn't, listen to this quote. Here's another good quote that helps us. Jesus makes a dramatic statement. And here's, I want to tell you about this book really fast. It's called Divorce and Remarriage in the Church. There's two great books, I'd three great books. Divorce and Remarriage in the Church. Divorce and Remarriage in the Bible. And then another one called What the Bible Says About Divorce. <laughs> if you want the really deep technical dive, get Divorce and Remarriage in the Bible. If you want something that's a little more accessible and you can read kind of quickly but still has the same content, Divorce and Remarriage in the Church or uh, What the Bible Says About Divorce and Remarriage, I really recommend. They've really helped my thinking here. And um, So 
Here's a quote from Divorce and Remarriage in the Church about hyperbole. Jesus makes a dramatic statement when he says, if you have remarried after an invalid divorce, you're committing adultery. He's pointing out the serious implications of an invalid divorce in the most forceful way possible. He says, in effect, no one should ignore the, the invalidity of any cause divorces. For technically, anyone who remarries after one is committing adultery. The gospel writers do not record the word technically, however, and I don't think that Jesus would have used a word like this because it would dilute the shock of the message. It has far more impact to say, if you remarry, you are an adulterer. Even though we know from other biblical teaching that's not what Jesus believed or what the Bible teaches, he's trying to shock and get to the heart of the matter. Remember, that's the point of this passage I talked about earlier, is that it's not external behavior anymore, it's heart that God is after. I mean, he's always been after heart. Think about who God really likes in the Old Testament. David, a man after his own law. No, a man after his own strict code. No, a man after his heart. We wanna be people who are after God's heart. And I think to dive into application here, what the kind of warning to us is about divorce is we should never approach divorce legalistically. We should never come and look at a divorce situation with a legalistic mindset, especially if you're in the relationship. And what I mean by that is you're super unhappy with your spouse, it's so hard, blah, blah, blah. Like I have a little bit of taste of that, man. I have three little kids, maybe over seven years. I have all these kids, you too, you know, um, that cause me a lot of stress. I'm just joking. But uh, basically, like, I get how hard divorce, I mean, I, I get how hard marriage can be. And your, your marriage is so hard and it's struggling. And, you know, then your spouse, you know, uh, commits adultery, let's say, or punches you in the face or, or whatever. You know what? You have grounds for divorce right there. That's biblical grounds for divorce. But you know what Jesus said? Forgive 70 times seven. <laughs> Does that fit into our, you know, our marriage? And how we process that? Like, yes, it does. Jesus is saying, don't look at divorce with a legalistic mindset. Don't be waiting for cause for divorce so that you can divorce someone. That's the application for us today. I'm gonna tell you just, I wish I could unpack this more and I gotta end pretty soon. I think there's times where the wisest thing to do is to get a divorce. But that's like a painful process with my sister, what she, she sought reconciliation with her ex-husband. And he was just totally, he, he said, no, I wanna leave you and I wanna marry her and raise this kid. And he was totally just, I just wanna say I bless him. Like I don't, I'm not mad at him. And, uh, but my, my sister pressed in, she was hoping for reconciliation here. And then after months and months and months, when it didn't come, she went forward with a divorce. So, what Jesus would say to us is, don't look at divorce with a legalistic mindset. When am I allowed to get a divorce? And another clear takeaway is that divorce is valid, especially for, for adultery. So how do I wanna land us here right now? Um, I was talking with a friend about my message on Friday and prayer team, you can come on down. I'm gonna, I'll end it. Um, and he was talking about how when he's sitting across from someone who's having a hard time in their marriage and they're thinking about getting a divorce or they're in the process of getting a divorce, 
what really stirs in his heart is sadness for what that person is gonna miss out on if they, get a, if they get a divorce. And one of the main things that he was talking to me about was how God uses marriage as a sanctifier in our life. There's nothing that has been more confronting to my character, my sinful, my, the sinful mindsets I still have than my relationship with Jen. There's nothing that has brought the best out of me after some of the worst than my marriage and my relationships. So I just wanna tell you, man, if you're in a hard relationship, um, God wants to do amazing, powerful work in your life and in your spouse's work through your commitment to that marriage. He wants to work there, there's hope, he, he's got you. Um, and again, I wish that I could go longer and I wish I could talk about uh, when divorce is, when we should really start to consider divorce. I do just feel like it's necessary to say this, that if you are in a relationship where you're being physically abused, get the heck out of there. Like, I'm not saying get divorced right now, but no excuse, period, bottom line, separate. Like, call the police and just separate. <laughs> or come to us and we'll help you figure that out. Um, so let's just hit a couple final slides. Will you guys stand as I pray for you? You know, there's so many cool t testimonies I wish I could go into of people in this room who've overcome adultery that I know of. And of people in this room who have not, um, give, who have pressed on and seen marriages restored. Um, Luke and I have a good friend, another vineyard pastor whose wife divorced him and then he just stuck with it and they're remarried now. So like, I know another couple who, who've been through the exact same thing, man. Like, God is so behind marriage, he can work incredible miracles, okay? So please don't give up on your, on your marriage unless you should. The Holy Spirit will lead you in that. Read this book. It'll help you figure that out. Um, but let me pray for us. And here's how I wanna end it. We bring up the slide that says no condemnation or shame or disqualification. Let's just read this slide out loud together, okay? No condemnation or shame or disqualification for those who have been divorced, whether it was a good divorce or an illegitimate divorce. <coughs> Carry me here. Jesus completely... So Father, I just thank you that your work on the cross was so effective. Jesus, you really rose from the grave. You really came back to life. Therefore, you paid for all the brokenness of the world. So I thank you, Lord, that there's freedom. And it just really quick, if anyone in the room feels, oh man, I just feel so convicted that I got a divorce for a bad reason, just confess that just to God right now in your heart or out loud. Just say, hey, Lord, I'm sorry. I think I did that wrong. Just take a really quick second for everyone to do that in their heart. Or if you're just feeling shame or you're feeling confused or anything like that, just, just tell God that in your heart really quick. And so, Father, I just thank you for everyone who just drew near to you with where they're at right now. <laughs> if you just prayed a prayer about this to God, you drew near towards him. So I bless him that when we draw near, he always comes towards us. I bless you in Jesus' name right now. I just say be free from condemnation and shame. Lord, make this a church with a 0% divorce rate. 
Make this a church where marriages last a lifetime and we just go after it, Lord. And we are used as agents to restore marriages. We honor you, Jesus. We can only do this through your power and through the Holy Spirit you put inside of us. We just say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. Thank you so much. We love you, God. Amen. All right, everybody. Thanks for hanging in there with me. Have an amazing week. Come forward for prayer. Um, come on Wednesday at noon. We worship together every Wednesday at noon. It's really awesome. See you guys.